There is no force as powerful on our hearts and minds as dreams of space. This is Generation Space, the official podcast of Air Force Space Command. In this very special episode, Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson and an airman who's actually been to space, Colonel Jack Two Fish Fisher. What's going on, everybody? I'm Master Sergeant Dave Salinitri, and welcome, welcome to a very special episode of Generation Space Podcast. So sitting to the left and right of me are two 1,000-pound brains. And uh, <laughs> so not intimidating, just an astrophysicist who's also uh, the director, the head of the Platon, uh, the Hayden Planetarium. No pressure or anything. The, the Platon Planetarium. There we go. <laughs> That's a, that great too? start. That great start, cool. right? <laughs> I've heard of that one before. And then sitting to my right is a man who spent 136 days in space and is, all, and is also the vice commander of uh, Shreve. Air Force Base, where home of where uh, you know the GPS satellite system is uh, flown and got us here, I suppose, and got our planes here and all that good stuff. You bet. So, gentlemen, thanks for uh, thanks for being here. This is a very exciting time to talk about space, and um, I'll just say I've been I've been covering space for the last three years or so. Before that, it was uh, just about everything else the Air Force did, and just in those three three years, I feel like sp- the space culture, the narrative has just grown to the point of, I mean, we have a United Space Space Command now. We might have a U.S. Space Force soon. Um, I'm curious to hear about the different things you've changed, uh, seen uh, take place in these, you know, recent times, or has it, has stuff always been growing? I just, I was just not really privy, privy yeah, to wait, it. Yeah, wake up to what that would have been. <laughs> <laughs> get with Absolutely it. Not. Well, he's been in space, so let, let's get his view first on this. Well, you know, as as actually coming home from uh, Air University, gave a, a speech there on uh, Saturday night, and uh, it was basically about what's right in space, as opposed to, you know, I grew up always kind of thinking, man, it would have been cool being alive in the 60s, and being able to uh, be part of the Apollo program. Now, I don't feel that way at all. I feel like 2019 is a uh, just a nexus of space-driven effort. We have civil, uh, military, and commercial going absolutely crazy. Uh, we have competency shifting towards a commercial space enterprise that is, you know, valued to be at about a trillion dollars by 2040. So okay. we're 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 getting that that incredible uh, capitalist entrepreneurial spirit to innovate and move us at a at a much faster pace. And you mentioned U.S. Space Command uh, on the military leg. Uh, we have so much going on right now. Uh, we have, obviously, U.S. Space Command. You mentioned Space Force. We have an electronic warfare group standing up here at Peterson, uh, the 721st. Uh, we have the orbital warfare group standing up next year out at Schriever. Uh, we just have, we are moving, moving fast uh, to try to keep up with the bad guys, defend the domain, and, you know, come with a... a want to deter every any conflict from ever happening in space but we have to defend it we have to be credible to be able to be in that position of power to define the norms going forward for the for the space domain and then get stuff there faster okay. develop it yeah. uh, uh, and and deliver uh, those capabilities and then we have to build a culture uh, a warfighter culture in US Space Command and and, and our space forces uh, so that we can do that and keep it safe and 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 build a foundation for looking forward what will be an incredible space enterprise so i'm excited it is an exciting time to be alive and a very exciting time to be part of the space industry it's exciting but not, not awesome 
It's so awesome. <laughs> we were told earlier that awesome should be reserved for truly great things, and I must say this is a truly great thing. <laughs> so just to clarify, when you said you no longer think that way, that you wish you were alive in the 60s for the Apollo, what you meant by that was you are happy you're alive today. Absolutely. Because, so you don't, you're not jealous of that. You're I'm happy for that, but now we got another mes- mission. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're, we have to respect the incredible accomplishments of the past. Mm-hmm. But I think we can do more now. I think we are poised uh, at this moment in history uh, to actually affect our destiny as a species mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. get to space for good. So, yeah, I'm excited to be alive now. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I'm... Uh, a little more pessimistic than you, slightly. All right. Maybe 20% more pessimistic. 20% off awesome. If it was 21%, I'd be concerned. You'd be concerned. Clean. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> the, I think people have historically, the public, have who ultimately writes the check. Public votes for members of Congress. Congress controls the money that we pay in taxes. And members of Congress represent the electorate. So the public has not entirely understood why we were in space at all. And when you don't understand why, or you think you understand and it's not the right reason, then your future decisions related to it become misdirected or just they will become, um, this will never happen, even though you think they will or should. For example, in the 1960s, it was, okay, we're on the moon by 1969. We'll be on Mars by 1980 or 1985. That was a common thing. Well, why are you thinking that? One should ask. Well, look how far we got in only six years. No, 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 no. Why did we walk on the moon? Well, because we're America and we're explorers and it's in human DNA. Who wrote the check? Well, Congress wrote the check. Do you know why they wrote the check? Well, because Kennedy gave a stirring speech. We'll put a man on the moon, return him safely to Earth before the decade is out. That's the narrative that drives our thinking about why we're in space. But you, un- you park the curtains. Oh, wait a minute. There's another paragraph in that same speech, a speech Kennedy gave to a joint session of Congress on May 25th, 1961, six weeks after Yuri Gagarin had just come out of orbit. There's a paragraph you, ne- you don't see retold anywhere. It's not there. There's a paragraph of that speech that's not chiseled in the granite at Kennedy Space Center next to the bust at the front entrance. All you see is we'll put a man on the moon and return. Plenty of room on that wall to put other parts of that speech, but we didn't. You know the part I'm referring to? It says, if the events of recent weeks could not even utter the man's name, Yuri Gagarin, if the events of recent weeks are any indication of the impact of this adventure on the minds of men everywhere, then we need to show the world the path of freedom over the path of tyranny. It was a battle cry. It was a war cry. And when you have a war cry, money flows like rivers. You can say, I'm an explorer. Let's pay for my exploration. There's a little bit of money for that, but it's not going to flow like a river. You'll get a bucket of water here. <laughs> it's not flowing like a river. So if so, once you understood that, and then you saw, well, Russia actually is not going to the moon, then we're done. Roll out Apollo 17, 1973. We've been going to the moon for four years. We are done. No, we're not going to Mars. No, it's not because of the absence of political will. 
it's the absence of an enemy that drives that kind of thinking and that kind of check writing. So another force that could operate is economic forces, the prospect of making money. And that's where I think we're, we're different now than we were. I'd, the speech I put together was a triad, a, an astronaut pin. You know, the three little lines, they represented Mercury, Gemini, Apollo. I think it's military, civil, and commercial. And I think right now we do have an enemy again. So military, yeah, money is gonna flow in that, in that realm. The biggest, most powerful force that we have going forward is not a soft power competition where we're gonna go, go against the Russians. This is a, a economic foundation for a future space enterprise. And you got a whole lot of investment companies that are looking at this and looking at something like launch. Instead of $200 million, $6 million. It changes the equation. So I do think that uh, while that was what powered us in the 60s and 4% of the GDP because we needed to beat the Russians, now the economy, the commercial, the most powerful part of that triad is what's going to fuel this future. Have you seen the book, It's Different This Time? No, but it sounds like <laughs> better. No, it's, it's, a, it's an indictment of everyone who says it's different this time. Okay. Uh, well, okay. it goes through all kinds of different bro. this time. Everyone wants to believe is. they're in a special time. And they say, this is, you can say whatever you want about the history, it's different this time. Okay. So it's just an interest, it's a, it's a reality check. Anytime you ever want to again say the phrase, it's different this time. Just don't want to say that. So, so, so here's my point. Yes, space industry. We, we went from a space program to a space industry. That's absolutely. an amazing fact. Yeah, no problem. I got no issues with that. That's fine. I'm talking about advancing a space frontier, very simply. Are we going to put astronauts on Mars or not? Which was the dream started when we put astronauts on the moon. And I do not see that happening unless China you know how we can get that to happen? Here we go. Here, we'll put you on a mission, yeah. sir, okay? okay? We'll send you to China. Go whisper to the head of China's ear. Say, psst, I want you to leak a memo that says you want to put military bases on Mars. Just leak the memo. It doesn't have to be true. We get, our CIA gets the memo. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we are, we will design, build, and fund a spaceship in one month, and nine months there, we'll be on Mars 10 months later with astronauts and colonies. If that does not happen, the sheer urge to want to put people on Mars cannot be justified financially. That's my only point. Well, so one, one thing, so in your, your, your book here, uh, in, uh, Ancestry to War. Oh, ancestry? Yep. To, uh, yeah. <laughs> accessory. <laughs> accessory, sorry. Accessory, yeah, yeah, accessory. <laughs> uh, so one of the things, accessory to war. Yeah, one of, the, one of the things you mentioned in there is you kind of tie the, um, you make a tie between uh, scientists and war fighters. And you, uh, so I was wondering if you could kind of explain a, a little bit of that too, how like one almost aids the other in the advancement. I feel like you kind of just did, but. Yeah, uh, so it's, it's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. But uh, I want to make sure I had fully responded to your, your enthusiasm. <laughs> but, well, and I just want to tamp it down by 20%. So, okay, so, 20, so, we're still in the awesome range. Yeah, yeah so, uh -huh. so definitely there's commerce in space in all the low and middle and, and geosynchronous orbits. No doubt about it. These are not space frontiers. They are, we've been there for 50 years. A space frontier is let's go where no one has gone before. Let's, so my maybe hope is, as I've said, the first trillionaire is gonna be the person who mines 
the natural resources of an asteroid. But somebody's got to sort of do that first. And governments can do things first, like, as we say in here, uh, the Columbus voyages were highly expensive for the Spanish government. And the government did it first. Then the Dutch East India Trading Company came along. The ones Columbus said, well, this is how far away it is. This is how long it takes. Here's the friendlies. Here were the enemies, the, the, the hostiles. Here's the trade winds. Now you can make a business case once the expensive, dangerous thing is done first by governments. So I do not see private enterprise leading something so dangerous without any obvious return on investment as being the first to put people on Mars. But putting people on Mars isn't the only thing we're going after. I agree. I agree. But and it is definitely a frontier. It, and when it I think of a space is. frontier, I think of you go farther today than you did yesterday. If you're just going to go where you've been before, fine. Yeah. Got no problems. Well, if I were to go as far as he went yesterday, you know, I'm okay with that. I'm okay <laughs> with going to ISS. So, <laughs> so, so this two-way street, um, I and so many of my colleagues, if I were to generalize, I would say we're sort of liberal Democrat anti-war as a generalization of my field. And the, this is not some quiz we give people before they come in. It's yeah. just... Do you think this, Jack? Do you think that, Jack? <laughs> no, no. It's just it's Only how journalism. that shakes out. Academia has historically yes, been that, and we're, academ we're academics. So meanwhile, here we are celebrating certain advances that the military has gleaned that could benefit us. Mm -hmm. And the military, who doesn't necessarily have the legions of scientists that we are, will tap something that we might discover, it gets classified, and then it gets used in, uh, in military operations. We have been handmaidens to the military ever since the beginning. And so no matter our politics, no matter our personal, emotional, cultural leanings, that relationship has been there. And that's why the subtitle here, the unspoken alliance between astrophysics and the military. It's unspoken, but it's real and it's there. I believe it. I believe Do you it. think it's, it's transitioning a bit uh, with, instead of being the focus, uh, like a 100% perfect military satellite that's $2 billion, takes a decade to build and, and fund. Uh, I, I talked to Dr. Uh, Stuart Eves, Sir Eves, uh, Surrey Satellite Technology Limited, if you know that company. And I asked him. I've heard of them. I don't know much about them, but I've heard of them. How are you so successful? And he goes, okay, well, we, we get the design from a satellite, we have them come into our shop, we say, that's great design. We can do 100% of that. It'll take us five years, it'll cost $3 million, and we can make it happen. Or, I got this stuff on the shelf, and it's about 80% of what you want, and I can build it in a month, and it'll be $250,000 for the bus, and then you buy the launch. Would that be okay? And they're like, oh yeah. And so the, the change of the launch cost, which is huge. That is a big, that's a big driver in what the future is gonna be. Um, I think might be shifting a bit of the power back into the hands of the scientists, of the intelligentsia, that can maybe define what they think is best or most efficient, and then maybe as a military or civil going forward, we use that in a different way. Here's an indication of my skepticism. The, I, I'm not, no, I have no issues with what you just said, so I'm not here to skeptify that. Skeptify, that's a good word. I can't use awesome, but you can use skeptify. I see how it is. Yeah, I don't know where I pulled that word. I don't even yeah, think the word exists. Uh, 
So um, there's something called Space Development Conference every year. I, I forgot the acronym, but it's Space Development, where people get together and they talk about business opportunities in space. And this has been going on for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And I've attended a couple of them. And uh, the fact was we had higher capacity to launch vehicles than there was a demand to launch satellites. Sorry, we had, higher, we had higher, higher launch capacity than launch demand. Absolutely. And you can say, well, how much of that is cost? And it turned out there was a gap. You can lower the cost a lot and it would make a little difference, but not in the pure uh, supply-demand curve would or should give you. Not only that, for unique satellites, I've got a one-off satellite, but that costs me a billion dollars to research. Does it really matter to me that your launch cost is now half of what it used to be? It doesn't. When that total cost is small compared to my R&D. So there's a whole category of kinds of satellites that have never been launched before that are not responsive to your launch cost because of, they're less responsive because of how much they cost. But in addition, the, now I lost my train of thought, the, uh, Satellite, where, where were we on it? We, uh, Good job, Colonel Fisher. <laughs> yes! Oh. Boom! Drop the mic. I'm it's walking just, away. Just sit here and look pretty. I just All right. made him skeptify <laughs> and forget. I was going to skeptify you, and I just... Good Lord. Um, <laughs> I, I agree uh, with oh, you, wait, wait, sir. Right, so here, 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 here's where it is. So I kept asking myself, why do we need a space industry development conference? Why is that even necessary? Oh, I know why it's necessary because nobody can think of how to fully use our capacity to put things in space. When the airplane was invented, were there special conferences? How are we gonna use the airplane in the future? No, it was obvious. You would move people, you would move commerce, you would ha have war, you would move mail. Yeah, it was obvious that this was a burgeoning industry. You didn't have to poke people. Could you please come and think hard about how we're gonna use these launch costs? No. So, so my, I'm, I'm just saying. Now maybe it, we'll all laugh at what I'm saying today, 20 years from now. My only point is, it is still expensive even when it's cheap <laughs> to go into space. Absolutely. And if you want to advance a frontier and go where no one has gone before, fulfilling the Star Trek uh, mantra, mm -hmm. That takes investments that have no return on, on the money. And so a government has to do that. And as, by my read, a government will only do it if they're militaristically motivated to do so mm -hmm. as we went to the moon. Right. Or there's some long-term financial prospect because the government doesn't have to really respond to a quarterly report. or an, They've got long-term strategic interests as motivators. So as Spain said, Columbus do this, this is long-term thinking from Queen Isabella. Right. It's like Spain, empire, uh, e economics. We, we might get a return on this in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, not next quarter. So the government does it first. That's, then private companies, I think, can come in and make a buck off of moon, Mars, and beyond. But as a first out of the box, I don't see private enterprise doing that. But with the development well, of like space for like space force, so like the government is going there. Well, absolutely. Right? Okay. But the, the, we're looking at different time epics, right? You're maybe 2060. I'm today, and we need to pick up a bag of scissors and get running. 
And so, but I, don't, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Well, wow. you know how I run gonna, with scissors. But what, what, what it's state very from? dangerous. Is that like from this, from your hometown. <laughs> no, I just oh, think well, that's. The reason it. why I say that. Becky's? You got to use Skeptify. <laughs> I get to use a bag of scissors. No, I'm saying Becky's. We don't have sayings like that. That happened like a bit, yeah, bit, yeah, and a da da da. Everybody's got a. My mom's name is Joe Bell. I'm from Texas. So like, that's what I'm saying. Boom. There you go. We don't have sayings. There's no sayings. No, no, We say like we're going to pick up things. So you guys say you're fixing things like all the time. You know. You and you're fixing. The point is. Right now, we have to get after it, and we are. In U.S. Space Command, I, the brave men and women out there at, at Shriver Air Force Base, and I can't wait for you to meet them uh, today, not only providing effects, but getting ready to defend the domain. We are trying to set the table. And it's, that defended domain, unless China says they want to put a military base on Mars, does not include Mars. But not that I don't going want back it to. to Mars. Not that I don't want it to. I, I'm just saying I don't see that in the cards. I, but it's not just about Mars. If you if we lose the GPS signal today, can you even imagine? It's unthinkable. Good Lord. It's unthinkable. And we can't allow that to happen. So we we are we are so we need to we're set in violent the table agreement now. with each other. And the agreement part is I'm not saying there's no value in space. I'm saying there's no value in advancing a space frontier where you are now farther away today than you were yesterday, exploring the solar system and beyond possibly other star systems, as we are told in every science fiction film that has ever been made. That, that future frontier, I do not see in our near, in, in, in the near term. I don't see it in the near future. Other, uh, that's what I'm saying, we're in violent agreement. So, <laughs> so all the rest of activities in space, cis lunar space, mm -hmm. so from here to the moon, I'm with you. Need more Neil deGrasse Tyson and Colonel Jack Two-Fish Fisher? Their conversation continues in the next Generation Space. Don't forget to check out our other Generation Space episodes. And please like, subscribe, and share the podcast. You know, it's one Can they see that with your head in the way? Yeah. With the side camera. Did no. my coworkers tell you to say that? I don't, I'm not that head big headed. Head. <laughs> head. Where where we go? The views and opinions expressed or implied in this podcast are those of the participants and should not be construed as carrying the official sanction of the Department of Defense, Air Force, U.S. Space Command, Air Force Space Command, or other agencies or departments of the U.S. government.